again, very welcome. And we're continuing our series today on uh, the greatest, um, as you see up on the screen. Um, we're talking a lot about uh, David and Jesus and the connections between the two. Uh, I was thinking during the week, and I've thought this a fair few times uh, through the years, I remember, I don't know how many of you went to Sunday school um, when you were younger, and I remember being taught about David when I was younger. And um, a lot of the lessons you were taught are around the idea that, you, that David is, is strong, David is brave, David is courageous. Um, you know, you hear phrases all the time, like David is, is after God's own heart. Um, and I suppose these sorts of, and, I mean, David's story is ripe for loads of Sunday school activities and crafts and all that sort of stuff. So don't blame Sunday school, and I hope the kids are having a great time talk, learning about David. But I remember, I suppose, then when I reached my teenage years, you started thinking about David, and I think the residual effect is that you start to aspire to be like David a little bit and the sort of images that crop up about David is that you know we're encouraged to be like him and you know if you aspire to be like David then um, you too can be close to God and um, I don't know if that was the same for anyone else but that, those are sort of things that sort of connected in my own mind that you know if I, if I just a bit more like David then I'll be close to God and I'll be a man after God's own heart like David was and I suppose the purpose part of the purpose of this series that we're doing at the moment um, on David and Jesus is to kind of shift that focus and show that Jesus is in fact the greater David, so to speak. So David, so to speak, is not the one to aspire to and look to. It's Jesus that we're to look to and aspire to. Um, David's ultimately not our example. Jesus is. Um, you know, it's not about how awesome David is, although he did some awesome things. It's not about how awesome David is. It's about how awesome Jesus is. Um, and as I say, the reason we want to learn about David's life is that we can see quite clearly how God works through it. Um, we can see how things in David's life can be connected to things that happened in Jesus' life as well. So it's quite a hand, it, it, it's, I mean, it was done purposely. It's the Bible, it's, it's, it's anointed. And that's one of the things we want to bring out of this. So Michael talked to us a couple of weeks ago about, you know, David when he was king. Uh, he made a lot of choices, um, not a lot of choices, he, was, he ruled with fear a lot of the time. Um, and you kind of pair that with Jesus, who tells us not to be afraid. Um, we learned from Simon last week um, how David dealt with issues often quite badly and problems quite badly in his life and quite selfishly, whereas um, the difference with Jesus is that he forgives and he gives us new life. So there's lots of those nice connections, and today is no different, although David comes off maybe slightly better than he did the last couple of weeks. Um, but I'm going to talk about David the shepherd. Um, was he a good shepherd, and how does this connect to Jesus, and why is Jesus the greater shepherd? So that's kind of what we're looking at this morning. So I suppose the obvious place to start is, what is a shepherd, and why is this significant? What is the significance of the shepherd? Well, first of all, shepherds are mentioned dozens and dozens of times throughout the Bible. Um, not only David, but uh, great men of the Bible like Abraham and Moses, they were also shepherds. Um, in fact, being a shepherd was quite a common um, occupation, quite not, uh, yeah, a common thing to work as um, in the Middle East uh, around these times. And the shepherd's job, as obvious as this is, and I'm going to point it out anyway, uh, the shepherd's job is to look after sheep. Um, their main responsibility is to look after their flock. Uh, the shepherd would also often work in isolated areas. 
Uh, and why this is, is significant is often because they worked in isolated areas, they would have to guide the sheep to areas where there's good grass or good water so that they could graze, eat well, be healthy, and all that sort of stuff. And one of the most famous Psalms in the Bible um, is Psalm 23, um, and David conveys his relationship with God a little bit through, um, through Psalm 23. Um, as you'll see from there, if you just skim it real quick, um, I'll read out a few examples as we're reading it. For example, the Good Shepherd, you'll see, provides nourishment and refreshment for his sheep. Um, verse 2, we see that we're told that um, the shepherd causes the sheep to lie down in, in green pastures. This indicates a place to rest and indicates a place to, um, you know, there'll be food on hand to feed the sheep. Um, David also says in the psalm um, that a skilled shepherd makes them lie down, as I say in verse 2, leads them again in verse 2 as well, and he also guides them. It, so the shepherd provides guidance as well. And Wendy mentioned this earlier, but... I'm told that sheep are stupid. Um, so they tend to wander off. They tend to wander towards cliff edges. They'll walk towards fires, apparently. They'll, um, they'll not be able to find themselves food. You know, all this sort of stuff. They, they need to be guided quite skillfully to get to where they need to go. So not only did the shepherd provide nourishment direction, um, but also David also goes out of his way to convey the idea that the shepherd provides safety and protection and makes sure the sheep basically doesn't kill itself. Um, and also, as well as being stupid, they're actually quite afraid of things as well. They're quite fearful. So for that reason, they need protecting as well. So the shepherd would have a rod that would be more of a club that would, you know, ward off wild animals and get the sheep away, all that sort of stuff. So sheep are stupid and afraid. That's the end point. Um, so what about David the shepherd? Was he good at his job? The funny thing is we don't actually know an awful lot about David as a shepherd. Um, and most of what is recorded, but that's because most of what's recorded in the Bible about David comes kind of after we see that God wants to choose David to be the next king of Israel. But the biggest insight we do get is when he goes to the previous king of Israel, Saul. He goes to Saul um, just before he's about to go and fight Goliath. We'll hear more about David and Goliath uh, next week with Simon. Um, but he says this to Saul in 1 Samuel 17, and it's quite important. Your servant, David's speaking about himself there, so your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Why is this significant? Well, we have a picture of, of David who would put himself at risk for the sake of protecting the sheep that are in his care. He could have easily have let that one sheep die, be killed, and worry about protecting the rest of the flock. Instead, he chose to kill the lion and the bear. Um, just as a, as a slight aside, the Bible does this occasionally. We'll put in a line, like David killed a lion and a bear, and you kind of have to fill in the blanks as to what kind of scene that was. It's kind of almost a throwaway line. But David killed a lion and a bear to protect a sheep. That's quite significant, quite a big deal. Would you want to um, fight a lion and a bear? 
Possibly not. So David was a good shepherd, it seems. He was strong, he was courageous, and he was caring. Now David says himself, of course, that the Lord delivered me from the paw of the the lion and the paw of the bear. So he credits it to God. But he was strong and he was courageous. He was a good shepherd. We can probably safely say that he did his job well. But ultimately, again, he's not our example. Jesus is our example, and Jesus is the greater shepherd. Why is Jesus the greater shepherd? That's our key question. Simply, Jesus doesn't save sheep, he saves people. Through his life, death, and resurrection. He doesn't just care for sheep, he cares for people. He speaks to them, transforms them, supports them, protects them all through the church and his Holy Spirit. Jesus is the greater shepherd. And the reasons why are encapsulated as we're gonna go into John 10. Um, you can actually, while we're about to talk a bit about John 10, you can we get a couple of Bibles out. Actually, I should have got that out beforehand or get it on your phone, because we're gonna be in John 10 for just a few minutes. Um, and John 10 is really, it's about Jesus well, in this, in this, Jesus is kind of describing himself, and, and during the course of this, it kind of reminds us and adds to our understanding of what makes a good shepherd. So I'll just give you a minute or so just to get John 10 out, or you don't have to get it out, you can rely on me. So in John 10, the good shepherd, um, we're see, we see the good shepherd is actually sacrificial. He's willing to ignore his own needs and meet the needs of his sheep. Over and over in John 10, he states the good shepherd gives his own life for his sheep. Now remember as well, Jesus' audience at this time would have been ethnic Jews, so they would have understood the sacrificial nature of the shepherd when uh, Jesus is saying all this. Um, Something interesting I learned this week actually as well um, is uh, that at the end of any day, so we have a picture up hopefully, I'll help have the picture up. So, why have I put that up? So, at the end of any day, um, sheep were often penned in at night. At night, if, if they were by a city, they'd be penned in just outside the city, so they didn't wander off while the shepherd was asleep. Uh, and the shepherd would do this by constructing this thing, this pen. They called it a fold, uh, but they, they created this pen, and they'd use, you know, uh, bushes and leaves and sticks and stuff like that but they'd also on top of it put thorny bushes and stuff like that on top of it Uh, and the reason for that would be to discourage the sheep from trying to jump over and get through it and also discourage thieves or discourage wild animals from getting in as well and getting at the sheep and but the key thing about this was not only that but notice where the shepherd was so the shepherd would The only way actually in and out of this fold was where the shepherd would lie. And the shepherd um, would lie in this gap in the gate. Um, So the the shepherd would actually lie there all night um, across the opening and that would actually be the door in and out of the the pen or the fold. So the shepherd would obviously sacrifice his own comfort, um, his own sleep, all of that was secondary uh, for the safety of the sheep. He was the gatekeeper, so to speak. Um, It was by him anything went in, and it was by him anything went out. I've used that language purposefully, sound quite familiar, 
Does it sound a bit like the gospel? More than anything, John 10 is a gospel text. John 10 is a gospel text. I'm just going to read verses 5 through 15. You can follow along with me if you have it. Um, Starting at verse 7 in John 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, who's the thief? The thief is sin and death. The thief is anything that keeps us apart from God. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We'll come back to having life to the full. We'll come back in a little bit. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is saying some wonderful things here. Um, He's saying, I'm not a hired hand. It's with great affection that I watch over these sheep. Why do I watch over these sheep with great affection? Because they're mine. They're mine. So when he looks at us as Christians, he sees someone who belongs to him. He's not hired. He's not going to run away when things get tough. In fact, the text says, when the wolf comes, he will stand in the gap. And what he's saying here is in the face of not just difficulties, not just the issues we all have in our daily lives or whatever's going on, he will stand in the gap of sin and death and he will not run. He will not disappear because we belong to him. And that's when we come to the big idea of this text, I think. What you must remember is that the context of these words from Jesus is that he is soon going to be arrested, he's soon going to be tried, and he's soon going to be put on a cross. So at the state, so here he's thinking, he's thinking eternally. He's thinking of eternity. He's thinking of the bigger picture. Um, so when Jesus said he's a, says he's a good shepherd, it's easy to think of, you know, nice Jesus hugging a lamb or, you know, Jesus wants to give you a gentle hug. But that's not what this I put to you is about. In this particular instance, he's not simply thinking of, you know, fixing people's day or getting someone the job they want, or helping someone pass their exams, all of which are important things, but that's not the big idea he's trying to get across here. He's thinking about and speaking about beating sin and death on the cross so that you can be God's forever. That's what he's speaking about. Just like the sheep are secure in that shepherd's fold, your eternity is secure if you trust in Jesus. He's saying, I've got this. I've got this forever. I'll stand in the gap. Again, that's not to say he doesn't care about our difficulties at all. He absolutely does. The Bible tells us that he knows every hair on our head. He knows us intimately. He wants to hear about what's going on in our hearts. He wants to know every intimate part of our lives. That is all still absolutely true. 
But as the greater David or the good shepherd, he is concerned about much more than that. Let me say this. If Jesus was just your friend, I think I said this a few weeks ago, if Jesus was just your friend who just listened to your concerns and who fixed the odd difficulty, who made the odd thing easier in your life, would he really be God? Would he really be the answer to your innermost desires and wants? No, he'd be a fancy fairy godmother, really. Someone who grants wishes when you need them. And we sell him short, I put to you, when we simply think of him like that. He's telling us that he's laid down his life for us on the cross, meaning we have eternity with him and we can have life in all its fullness. Life in all its fullness. Now, I've heard that phrase a lot down through the years, life in all its fullness. And when I hear life in all its fullness, now, a lot of the time, it kind of glazes over me. You kind of say the phrase and you think, well, that sounds great. It sounds awesome. Let's have a great life. Let's be joyful. Let's, you know, have a fulfilling life. What, everyone wants that, don't they? Um, but what does life in all its fullness actually mean? Does it mean that Jesus wants us to be happy all the time? Does it mean that Jesus, you know, is going to fix every problem that we have? What does life in all its fullness actually look like? And that it's not a case that we just skip over it and think, okay, yeah, life in all its fullness, fine. Um, now, it's funny, I was thinking about this yesterday where uh, myself and Naomi, my wife, for those of you who don't know, we were driving back from... Um, we had a nice brunch down in, in uh, Wicklow, and we were driving back, and I started talking about, which, as the good wife she is, she asked me, you know, how's the talk going for tomorrow again? Um, and I would say, well, I'm struggling with the end of it um, in terms of how to talk about uh, life in all its fullness, because as I've just said to you, I've, I've thought about it loads of times, and I, I, I'm finding it hard to articulate it, because... So I asked her, you know, what would you say to life's own fullness? And she responded something like, well, it's that, you know, Jesus has everything in hand. Well, I'm like, well, if I say if Jesus has everything in hand, it doesn't really answer the question in a lot of ways because there's a lot of people I understand, like, obviously there's a lot of people with a lot of difficulties, there's lots of big issues. If you say Jesus has everything in hand, well, what does that mean? And she said, well, um, well he, it, it's Jesus, I think she said something like, Jesus provides something that no one else can. And I was like, Okay, but we have, you know, there's things that give us joy in our lives. There's things like religion can give us joy if we follow certain rules, or, you know, sports teams can give us joy, our hobbies can give us joy, our friends and family can give us joy. There's loads of things that give us joy and give us, you know, a good feeling and give us joy. So, you know, what makes Jesus very different? Um, of course, I was probably annoying her at this stage. But um, luckily, she's not in the room. She'd have probably left herself by now. Um, and then I said, well, okay, well, what makes Jesus different? And um, she then says to me, well, because um, Jesus is God and Jesus, everything else that you've listed off, so religion and stuff and money and people or, and sorry, and, you know, hobbies and friends and family, all of those things rely on people or they're all, you know, they're all temporary things or they all rely on people. God is the only, Jesus is the only thing that you rely totally on God and what he's done. And that's, I think, the answer, is that money can run out. Religion, well, you can 
forget to follow some rules or not follow all the rules perfectly. Friends and family can let you down or they can disappear or, you know, sports teams can definitely let you down. I support Liverpool. We all know that they let me down every single week. Um, fashion, for instance, you know, that changes all the time. Body image, you know, that changes all the time. And sometimes what you look like is also out of your control. So hobbies, there could be a time you can't do your hobbies anymore. Um, the answer is that God has done everything already. Life is tough. Life is hard. God does intervene and change circumstances sometimes, but not every time. But what our God does, as I say, that's completely unique, is make it about him. Every other way to live, every other life path, everything else you can put your trust in is dependent on us, other people, or something that is ultimately temporary. Only God is eternal. He came, he lived, he was crucified, and he rose again. And then he says, trust me and follow me. He makes it about what he has done and not what we can do. And because of what he has done, we can be eternally secure that he loves us, he knows us, and he's fighting for us. That's, I put to you, why he is the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, um, Father, I thank you that Jesus told us that he wants to, he wants us to have life and life in all its fullness, and that as a good shepherd, that's what he says to us, and that's, that's what he wants for us. But I thank you, um, Father, I thank you that he says that, he says that to us um, in the context of having done everything that needs to be done already. Father, I thank you that it's not in our strength or in our abilities or our, or our hard work that we can have life and life to the full. Father, I thank you that, um, Father, I thank you that having life and life to the full is all about being secure in your love and knowing that you love each one of us as your children and that everything else flows out of that. Yes, um, a life with you um, can bring us adventures, can bring us great joy, can bring us uh, great things that we can never have imagined. Um, but we must acknowledge as well that, of course, um, life is hard and you don't answer um, or you don't um, fix everything that is happening in our lives. Um, and life is hard. But thank you that we can rest on the promise and rest on the proof through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Um, we can rest on the fact that you have made us totally and utterly secure in your love. But I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.